You know, before I read a passage, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. And uh, if, if you're trying to figure out how do I get there, just open the front of your Bible and go right and you'll get there eventually. Uh, but go ahead, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses out of there in a moment. Before I do anything more, though, I just want to say, are you guys thankful for your senior pastors? Come on now. Um, do not take for granted the leadership God has entrusted to you. He could have sown them into the soil of any city, of any place, and yet God saw fit to bring pastors Anthony and Miriam into this community right here and to plant this incredible church that isn't just a church taking up space. It's a church with destiny. It's a church with purpose. It's a church that churches around the nation and even the world are aware of. I can tell you often, often, often at Wave Church, we look up north to Jersey and uh, we see you guys up here and we applaud and champion and, and cheer you guys on. Definitely greetings from Pastor Steve and Pastor Sharon as well. You know, as we were worshiping, I did feel I'm pulling out my phone, not because I'm checking a text. I put it on airplane mode. But I felt the Holy Spirit gave me a word for your church uh, in, in this service as we were worshiping. And I didn't even know it. I looked at Pastor Anthony. I was like, is this a word that's all through your church? But then I heard the announcement about the women's ministry. And it's built into the name and the ethos and the culture of what's happening with the women in this house. But as we were worshiping, I just really felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to encourage you um, that this is a resilient church and that this will be a season of resilience. Um, to be honest, one of the primary indicators that something is alive is its ability to be resilient. That when it gets knocked down, it gets back up again. That when it faces a struggle, there's something about the human heart's ability to rise above those circumstances. And I looked up that word resilience. I'm a word guy. I'm going, I'm, I'm back in school, four-year degree, just looking at words, okay? So I love words. Words interest me. And this word resilience literally means this, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or the ability of a substance, or some would say a church, to spring back into shape and to demonstrate elasticity. And I really believe that there's going to be a resilience in this community. And I believe a part of that resilience is going to flow through this church. And I love what Pastor Anthony was saying on the front end uh, about 40 days and what you're doing as a church. And I believe that that is a positioning of a resilient heart. And so I just really want to encourage you in the season is that uh, it's not a building that makes a church resilient. It's the people in the building that make a church resilient. And so I just really want to encourage you in prayer, in your marriage, in the way we're raising our children in this season. I want to encourage you to challenge yourself with the question, God, is this, where is resilience in this moment? Where is resilience in this decision? And I really believe that God is going to, to demonstrate that. Some unique things are going to happen in this next season in your church. Things you haven't seen before. And I believe it's going to be a, a demonstration of that resilience that I believe the Holy Spirit is supernaturally going to bring into this house. Does that sound good? All right. Did you guys find Luke chapter 4? All right. If you haven't found it yet, as we say down in the south, bless your heart. All right. We're going to put it up on the screen here. I'm going to read a few verses. Then I'm going to pray. 
And this is Jesus speaking. And I, I love this because Jesus, in, in, in our Bibles, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And I love how in verse 14 it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't hear anything else that I say, please do not forget in the midst of all that's going on in our nation, in our world right now, that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved. That one word from Jesus, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. And I love how when Jesus shows up in this passage, he shows up with power. He doesn't show up with confusion. He doesn't show up with insecurity. He doesn't show up with uncertainty. He doesn't show up with doubt, but he shows up with power. Someone say power. Okay, someone say it like you've got the arms of Fernando. Someone say power. power. Fernando, if, if I were you and I had biceps like you, I would be legally changing my name to Ferrambo. In Jesus' name. Ferrambo. And you were talking about a verse popping out, and Anthony looked at me. He's like, I think his biceps are popping out even more than that verse. And I was like, yes and Amen. And so, thank you. Thank you for being up here and just causing me to covet, you know, your health right before I preach the word of God. For Rambo, power. That's where we were. It's in the message translation. It actually says for Rambo. Full of the power of for Rambo. Okay. In verse 18, Jesus is in church on a Saturday morning in ancient Israel, and he reads these words from the scroll. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, it's one thing to believe the Spirit of the Lord's on someone else. I found a lot of times it's easier to believe for God to move in someone else's life than it is to believe that he can move in my desperate situation, in my, in my circumstance where it's just look like no after no after no after no, closed door after closed door after closed door. It's so easy to outsource our faith, and yet I believe this is a season where we got to be a people who understand the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He says, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives in recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Someone say, this is the year. I'm going to pray real quick. We're going to get into these verses this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're already moving. You're already warming hearts. You're already challenging people. You're already resurrecting dead things. Lord, I pray for every single person joining us online this morning and every single person who won the lottery with getting a seat in the building. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken, that you would stir, that you would resurrect, that Jesus, your words would come alive in the same way those men on the road to you may have said, our hearts burned as he opened the scriptures to us. Lord, may our hearts burn today, not just with happy thoughts, not just with positive thoughts, but with kingdom thoughts in the mighty name of Jesus. And somebody said, amen, amen, amen. You know, when we know the rest of our Bibles, to hear Jesus say, this is the year of the Lord's favor doesn't seem weird to us. But the problem with reading the Bible is, is you've got that constant spoiler alert. You already know Jesus is going to raise from the dead. You do know he's going to die. There's going to be a few sad paragraphs. But then a few moments later, all of human history is about to change. So we lose some of the gravity of the situation. 
And if you want to read your Bible accurately, you have to sometimes force yourself to unknow what you already know. And we all, I mean, if you're a parent, you know how to do this because your child does something once, it makes you laugh. And then they think, if I do this 1,000 more times in a row, I'm going to get that same response every single time. And you just got to go ahead and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh because you don't want to crush their little spirit at that ripe age of two, right? That wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from. For Rambo's uh, totally distracting me up here. I just got hit in the face with this vein. Um... Sorry, sir. Yeah, just go ahead. Pull that a little lower, all right? My gosh, you're a married man. Like, come on. Por favor. Okay. And Jesus is here, and he says, it's the favorable year of the Lord. And we look at that, and we're like, it makes total sense. If you were living in the days of Jesus, it would not have made sense. I mean, people would have heard Jesus saying, favorable year? What do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, like. Jesus, didn't you see the Roman soldiers on your way into the gym? A gym. Church, I'm seriously thinking about Fernando up here. Wow. Jesus, didn't you see all those Roman soldiers on the way into synagogue this morning? Like, like we're oppressed. That's not our army, Jesus. We're not a free people. We're under the boot of Rome. We're under their control. We're, we're paying taxes. We're being taken advantage of. I, I mean, Jesus, what do you mean this is the favorable year of the Lord? We've been waiting for it a long time, but we never thought it would look like this. I don't know if you know this, but, but one-third of the world at the time of Jesus walking the earth lived below subsistence levels. Now, that's an academic term that literally means that one-third of the world, one in three people, was so poor and so destitute and so lacking basic, basic needs and requirements in life that literally they... They were not confident they would see the sunrise the next day. One in three people, there was a very real chance of death by starvation. And in the middle of that kind of a situation, Jesus says, it's the favorable year of the Lord. Like, like I grew up looking at flannel board Jesus. Everyone had new clothes. They had their Gucci robe. They had, the, they had fresh sandals. Every field you saw was filled with grain. I mean, it looked like it was like living in Candyland if you were alive in Jesus' time. One in three people were on death's door. And a foreign power was, was in, had invaded and conquered your land. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. I think what we need right now in our world are Christians who believe that in the midst of the circumstance we're in, that we're still crazy enough to believe this, this could be it. This, this could be the year of the Lord's favor. This could be the hour. This could be the time. This could be the place. This could be the environment. This could be the chapter of human history where what centuries of the church have been praying, fasting, sacrificing, living, dying for. That we could see it come to pass now. And people could look at it and say, now? With COVID? With, with the, the national, you know, the, the national lack of, of cohesion that we have? Like, now could be the time where that happens? It's now where the only way it's possible is if the God we believe in were to show up. 
And I don't know about you, but this, the moment where all this became real for me, I was walking through someone's lawn, and I saw the headlines of my community's newspaper. We have a photo of it here. And, and you can't really see it too clearly, but if you, if you kind of squint your eyes and try to focus on that photo a little more, it's probably easier for the people online to read it this morning. It says, a time of fear and isolation. And honestly, I don't know what it was, but it was seeing those words in bold print on my community's newspaper that I have, I've looked at that newspaper for over half my life now, and I've never seen a headline like that. And to see those words now, something about it stopped me in my tracks, and I just remember this sadness overwhelmed me, if I'm being honest. And I remember looking at it, and, and I just thought... I, I, I got to be honest, it was such an impacting moment for me. Something told me I just need to snap a photo of this because this is the moment where it all became real for me. And, and you think about it right now. We're living in a world that is, is overcome with fear. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. There's racial tension. There's political upheaval. There's economic uncertainty. And I believe that it matters now more than ever that we learn to think biblically. But the challenge is we live in a world where we are being conditioned and encouraged to think any way but biblically. You are championed to think about life any way but biblically. You can think about life by wrapping it around your sexuality. And the world says, you do you, boo-boo. You can go ahead and you can wrap your thinking around how you behave in the ballot box. And the world says, that's a great way to live. You can go ahead and wrap your thinking about life around income. And, and whether it's equal, whether it's not, and this and that and the other. We're living in a moment in our nation right now where people are grappling with thinking, maybe, maybe we should say ethnically or racially. And the reality is, is that is, it, all of those things absolutely matter because here's the reality. It is part of who you are. But the challenge is, if we believe that the totality of our understanding of who we are as individuals is wrapped around any one of those things, we will never be able to be a unified humanity. But if we're to be the people God has called us to be, we need to only allow biblical thinking to be at the core of how we view life and how we view ourselves. Now, thinking biblically does not erode your family's history. It does not erode your life story. It does not erode your experience. But thinking biblically is the only way to take all of those parts of your life journey and actually make sense of them. Until you put Christ at the center of your life, it will be like the fury of a snowstorm where there's a million different fragments floating around and there's no order or direction to any of it. It's only when we put Christ at the center of things that we're able to walk with the peace that we all desire in life. You know, it's interesting as you look at what Jesus read in that temple all those years ago, and you look at it, and can I tell you something? Long before there were any of the political parties we see in America today, there was the kingdom of God. And that what you see so many politicians trying to promise people today, okay? Whether, whether you're, you, you subscribe to liberalism, conservatism, uh, socialism, or Marxism, or libertarianism, or, or whatever other ism I've forgotten, all of those worldviews, at the end of the day, do you know what they're pursuing? They're pursuing 
the outcome of the kingdom of God without King Jesus in the middle of it all. They're saying we want what God has promised, but we want it without his son. And you cannot have the kingdom without the king. The kingdom doesn't make the king. It's the king who makes the kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And I believe that if we're going to be the church that the world is dying for us to be, we need to be a church that knows how to think biblically. We need to be a church that understands the kingdom of God as Christ Jesus, or should I say King Jesus, understood it himself when he walked this earth. Now some of us are sitting here right now and you're getting a little bit scared by what I'm saying. Because you're thinking, Joe, if I begin to think biblically in the way that I lead my business, in the way that I, that I carry myself with my friends in school or university or at my job or in any other part of your daily life experience, you're thinking, Joe, like, like cancel culture is real. And people aren't going to like that. Can I tell you something? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already dealt with cancel culture. Babylon said, you're not going to worship what we worship. We're going to kill you. Which is a little bit worse than unfollowing you on Instagram, in case you're wondering. Okay? And you know what? Babylon tried, and God saw to it that they were exalted anyway. And you know what I believe God is looking for right now? I think he's looking for a community of people who are resilient enough to say, I'm not bowing my knee. I'm not going to worship the God of this world, when I've been invited to worship the God of the universe. But here's the catch. Right living is not possible without right thinking. And if I were the devil, I would prioritize confusing the Christian understanding of the gospel. I would get you to think you know, I would, I would let you know just enough of it to where you were actually confident enough to think you understood the gospel message. But I would make sure that you didn't understand it enough to really be an agent of change in your everyday world. You see, what sets Christians apart, it's the gospel message. It's the gospel message. It's the proclamation that we don't talk about one day going to have an eternity in heaven. We talk about heaven being so impatient that it's just going to go ahead and meet us here. Do you see the difference in that? Every other world religion is about man in search of God, but the gospel is the only message of God coming to meet with man. And so the way that the devil has confused our understanding of this is he's worked through culture. And again, I told you earlier, I, I geek out on words, okay? It, it is what it is, the way God made me. Our word culture comes from the Latin word cultus, and that word cultus means a system of worship. So culture builds around what a people commit to worshiping. So if you want to know what American culture is worshiping today, and quite frankly, that's not a monolithic answer. There's so many different pockets of what is America. That's one of the things I love most about America. You can't personify it with a single family origin. You can't personify it with a single color of skin. You can't personify it with a single political party. We are this incredible patchwork of people coming together. And what I love is that in all of that being equally loved and celebrated, cherished, and protected, that's when you really see America. 
But in each of those different pockets, look at what that community celebrates and you'll actually realize that's what they're worshiping. Now, the Western world grew in the environment of the Greek world. I'm going to try to get somewhere really quick for us here today, all right? Someone say, buckle up. And so if we're going to understand how, what this idea of the kingdom of God really is, I think we have to understand the fact that our Western world was heavily influenced by Greek culture. Now, you could hear me say that and say, well, Joe, I don't agree with the Western world. I don't identify with the Western world mindset. I think we should just burn the whole system down and start all over again. And I would look at you and I would say, that's really cute. But the fact that you think your opinion matters that much is Greek thinking in and of itself. So you can want to kick it all to the curb, but the very premise of you thinking that way, you're trying to hold on to some of the very thing you're trying to kick out anyway. Because before the Western world came onto the scene, there was no individual value. So for you to think that your opinion matters enough to be heard above all the other opinions, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And so this Western world, we were influenced by the Greeks. They affected literature. They affected the arts. They affected science. They affected our understanding of history. They affected our understanding of the family unit. They affected our understanding of politics and how people should or could be governed. And we would be naive to think that the Greeks didn't affect the way that we consider religion. You see, the Greek mind divided the entirety of the human world into two spheres. You had the realm of the flesh and you had the realm of the soul. Over here on the realm of the flesh, it's everything that you could experience with your five senses. Everything you can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, and you can touch. That is the realm of the flesh. It is the, the temporal. It is the life you and I are living today. And over here in the realm of the soul, it's that ooey-gooey realm of emotions, thoughts that I, that I live in the reality of, but I can't see, taste, touch, or feel, or hear. It's, it's the eternal that nagging sense that there's something more to life than this. The Greek mind separated those two completely. Now, the problem with the Greek world is that the gods could change your soul, but they couldn't help your flesh. If you were an ancient Athenian and you climbed up Mount Olympus and you got to the top, you would find that Zeus had the same problems in his house that you had with your own family down below. The Greek gods could change eternal matters, but they were powerless to really change the human heart. All they could do is just double down on the duplicity, the evil, or, or the selfishness. And so Western world began to see and communicate the gospel through this Greek idea. And that is why when you ask people, what is the gospel message? They tell you, I'm a sinner, I've been saved, and I have eternity with God. And the reality is that's not the entire gospel message. See, the gospel message is that I have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. But then what they do is they skip the present and they imagine, won't heaven be great? And the problem that the world faces is, why are you selling me a system of thinking that is telling me about a future I'm not even convinced is existing while I'm dying right here and now? And if we're going to understand and communicate the kingdom of God as Jesus spoke of it, we need to see what he saw. Look at his message in Luke chapter 4. Let's read it again. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Are there any poor people in eternity? You, it's okay. You can give me the answer. Are there any poor people in eternity? No. So he's already talking about 
how his message will change here and now. He goes on to say, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Will there be any captives for eternity in heaven? No, but there will be in hell. Hell is real. We do believe that as a church, do we not? Okay. So he's talking about releasing captives. That's weird. He's talking about life in this earth. Recovery is sight to the blind. Will there be blind people in eternity? No, everyone will see with such clarity, and we will see things so clearly that people in hell will live with eternal anguish because of how clearly they see the reality of life and existence in God. And people in heaven will live with eternal joy because they will see with clarity how real and how good God truly is and how magnificently Jesus Christ loved us, gave his life for us, and rose from the grave. So if he's talking about blind people seeing, he's talking about this life. And then he goes on to say to set free those who are oppressed. Again, there's no oppressed people in heaven. Jesus is talking about a message that changes here and now. And then he proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. You see, Jesus right here, his gospel message wasn't just that one day you'll live on the starship lollipop. His message is that heaven is coming now. And what we need are Christians who walk in their everyday world realizing, I'm not just telling people about a future eternity, but I'm bringing the kingdom of God into the middle of this COVID crisis. I'm bringing the kingdom of God into the middle of this racially disjointed season in America. You see, Jesus' primary message was the kingdom of God. He talked about it more than he talked about anything else 122 times. The kingdom of God is mentioned in scripture. 90 times it's mentioned by Jesus. More than any other topic, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. More than any other topic. And I realized the thing Jesus thought about the most, I understood the least. You see, if you're going to see the kingdom of God the way Jesus saw it, what made it different than what anyone else had is that while the Greek mind said, God can save your eternity, but your life is stuck just the way it is. Jesus came in, and he had a Jewish worldview. He had a Jewish perspective. And what he did was he kicked down the walls, and he said, it's all connected. It's all one. It all flows together. The very Hebrew word for peace, shalom, comes from the root word shalem, shin Lamed Mem. Those are the three letters that build that root. And it literally means wholeness. You cannot have peace outside of wholeness. If you take the word wholeness out of the word peace, all you have left is, oh. Peace stands on a foundation of wholeness. And the message of the kingdom of God is that Jesus came to save wholes, not just souls. What do I mean by holes? I don't mean H-O-L-E-S. I mean W-H-O-L-E-S. The problem with our understanding of the gospel, I believe, in so many churches right now is that we recognize I'm a sinner who needs Jesus. And that is correct and that is true. And then we skip the present and they just imagine eternity. When Jesus' message is that there's a restoration of sight today. There's a healing of where you're crippled in life today. There's a a setting free of where you've been a captive in your life right here, right now, today, in the middle of all these things going on in the world around us. He said, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And so 
What is the kingdom of God? It's real simple. The kingdom of God is where his rule and his effective will is done. So how do you know if you're living in the kingdom of God? Does that mean you live in a town that has more churches than mosques? No. Are you living in the kingdom of God if everyone votes your way? No. Are you living in the kingdom of God because the person you think should be president ends up president? No. The kingdom of God is where what he wants is done. And that's why sin is such a powerful thing in the life of a Christian. is because when I know what the word of God says, but I don't choose to live in it, it's actually the choice to say your kingdom isn't welcome here. So what was powerful for Fernando on that beach in, I think you said Cancun, was that it was in that moment that his family's finances were brought into the kingdom of God. And so as his finances were brought into the kingdom of God, guess what? God's favor, God's provision, the realm of God's reign, his peace, his provision, his righteousness, it could begin to flow in his family's finances. And so when I'm at home, or you're at home, and we got an area of our life, and we know what the word of God says, but we don't live in it, it is such a tragedy for the Christian because it's the choice to say, God, your kingdom isn't welcome here. And it's possible to have the kingdom in parts of your life and not other parts of your life. Let me ask you, who in here could deal with more joy? There's a lot of hands going up. Who in here could deal with more peace in life? Can I tell you something? What you just said is, I want the kingdom of God in my life. Because Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God does not consist of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you know what the world is calling out for right now? It's crying out for the kingdom of God. But we need Christians who stop just having a one-day view of eternity, and we say, Holy Spirit, I want your kingdom to flow in my life right here, right now. So I don't have any points, just three quick questions. Number one, where are you living outside the kingdom of God right now? And I gave you a word on the front end, so I ran out of, out of time. So I'm going to give these to you and talk them through with your, your, your community groups, your Bible studies, um, whatever. But, but pray these things through. Number one, where in your life are you outside the kingdom of God? Number two, what would it look like to bring that area into the realm of the kingdom of God? Maybe you have a secret habit, secret secret mindset about yourself that you know is limiting you in life. You know, talking to a leader about that, talking to a fellow follower of Christ about that is actually opening up your world for the kingdom of God to flow again. And then number three, imagine how your world would change as a result of the kingdom of God flowing more fully through you. Those three questions, I believe, could transform this next season of your life, of your marriage, of your family, of your business, of your finances, of your sexuality, of your understanding of the future, virtually every sphere of your life. Where am I living outside the kingdom of God? What would it look like to release the kingdom of God in that area? And how would it change my experience on this earth? How would it make a difference in my marriage? How would it give my children the life that I didn't have at their age? I believe we're on the way to living and walking in true life change at that point in time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask a simple question this morning. Do you know Jesus? I love that message that Jesus brought to people all those years ago. Where he said, I came to release the oppressed. I came to free the blind. He came to resurrect what's dead. You're in this place today and you've heard me talking about peace, 
You've been hearing me talk about joy. You've been hearing me talk about change, about resilience. And you hear that and you think about that and you say, I don't have that life, but I w I've, I've been searching for it. Friend, you've been searching for Jesus. Maybe you didn't know to call him by that name online today you're watching. Maybe you didn't know that what you were looking for, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a bank account. It wasn't a newer car. It wasn't a relationship with another guy or another girl. You didn't know it, but what you've been looking for this entire time, it is Jesus Christ. And when he comes into your life, he makes all things new. And so today, there's an, a, an invitation extended to you through his life and his incredible love where he's offering you fresh hope, a new beginning, new life, release from the things that have been limiting you. And if you're listening to my voice this morning and you're saying, Joe, I want to know Jesus. I've been trying to do life on my own and all I've done is made a bigger mess of things. I need help. And if Jesus is who you say he is and he can do what he said he can do, I want to know him. If that's you in this place, I'm going to count to three and I want you to lift your hand high enough, long enough for me to see it. One, two, three. Just go ahead and lift your hand. I see a hand there, another hand there, another hand there. Anyone else in here this morning saying, yeah, that's me. I'm, I need Jesus in my life. Okay, yep, I think I just saw another hand over here. Anyone online, you can click a button right there on the screen if it's you this morning. Anyone else in here today? Maybe at one time you were going, you, you realized as I was talking today, you've been going through motions in this Christian life. And today it was just a sense of the Holy Spirit knocking at your heart saying, I have something more real for you. If that's you in this place, just go ahead and lift your hand right now. Awesome. All right, we're going to pray together this morning. Everyone say, dear Jesus, I need you. And I ask for your kingdom to come into my life. I give you everything. And I now trust you. On my own, I am powerless. I am broken. And I am hurting. But today... I see that you are love and you are life. And so I trust you. And I now confess that you are Lord of my life. And I am following you. Amen and amen. Come on, Church Alive. Let's give a hand for every single person this morning, Pastor Miriam. Woo! I wasn't ready. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Pastor Joe. Man, what a word. I feel like I always get a little smarter when Pastor Joe is with us. <laughs> it's incredible. Hey, if you are online right now, and even those of you who are here and decided to place your faith in Jesus, we have a gift for you. Um, you can pick up, if you're in person, this book, Following Jesus, at our Next Steps counter as you exit here today. If you are watching online and you're placing your faith in Christ, you can text CONNECT, the number 7, to 97000, and we'll be sending you one of these books. And don't forget, guys, if you are going to be coming next Sunday in person. Registration opens on Tuesday morning. We have Pastor Josh Kelly coming from the same church, Wave Church down in Virginia. So we love the Wave guys. And so we love you, church. We're praying for you. We're in faith with you. Remember 40 days of faith. Stay in faith. Remember God is with you all the days of your life. God bless you guys. See you soon. See you next week. See you later.